Hey everyone, before we get into tonight's stories, I just wanted to let you know that we are currently raising money for Black Girls Code in honor of Black History Month. Black Girls Code is an organization that works to get young black women into the tech industry. Things like game design, uh, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and so, so much more. It's a really amazing program, and I think it's very important that programs like these get the funding and the support that they need. I do have a goal set. So if you're interested in donating, it'll be to the right of the video if you're on desktop, and it'll be below the video if you're on mobile. Thank you again, everyone, for listening, and let's jump right into tonight's stories. Are you okay? Rachel yelled out as she ran toward me through the storm, trying not to laugh. It figures that moving day would find lightning, thunder, and rain attacking us from above, but... It had been completely clear when we headed this way with a truckload of all of our worldly possessions. I'm good, I called out, chuckling to myself as I lay on the ground with thick raindrops splashing me in the face. Honestly, I had no idea how I ended up there flat on my back. I volunteered to brave the storm to get to the door of our new home unlocked. I planned to get the lights turned on too, as the sky had grown quite dark when the bottom fell out only minutes before we arrived. Rachel was five months pregnant, and I was hoping to make things as convenient as possible. Her back has been throbbing pretty bad lately, and this move was already taking its toll on her. The new house was massive. My wife and I decided it was time for us to move out of our apartment in the city and upgrade to a house in a more peaceful environment as soon as we found out we were expecting. We had only been married a year and it was a surprise to both of us when she tested positive, but we'd been talking a lot about trying to conceive in the near future. Sure, we'd hoped to be a little more financially stable by the time we brought a new member into our little family, but I can't say we weren't excited about it. After looking at a handful of houses over the course of a few months, we instantly fell in love with this one. We had no doubt that there would be an Ice Cube's chance in the depths of Satan's asshole that we could afford it, but... We asked for more details regardless. The price we paid was a little higher than our budget, but it was a remarkable deal for the size of this place. Rachel and I made decent money between the two of us, but we couldn't have dreamt owning a house like this, even with our combined income. Now, I've watched a considerable amount of mystery and horror movies in my life, so I made sure to do the research before we signed off on it. I'm sure we're all familiar with the surprisingly priced houses that just happened to have been the location of brutal and bloody massacre. As it turned out, our house had only been built a few months ago, and we would be its first owners. No history, no tragedies, no skeletons in the closet. I even looked up the land it was built on. Nothing much to see there either. Given the storm raging outside, we decided to hold off on loading anything until the weather cleared up. I'd called in a few favors to help us with the move, but they'd headed out to grab some food before meeting us here. By the time our friends arrived, things had simmered down substantially outside, so we began the tedious and back-breaking process of unloading the truck. It took some time, but we had everything inside by ten. We were all pretty beat up by the time the whole ordeal was done with, so we decided to just crash for the night and worry about setting everything up the following day. We bid our friends good nights with a healthy amount of gratitude, and we turned in for the night. 
It was probably around three in the morning when the knocking woke me up. It almost sounded like someone was jerking on the door handle trying to get in. Do you hear that? I asked Rachel before turning to see that she was still in a deep sleep. I gently slid out of bed and tried to make my way through the new, unfamiliar house in the dark. It took some groping around the walls to make my way downstairs, and I almost busted my ass a few times over a few shoddily stacked boxes, but I finally arrived at the foot of the stairs. Our new home sat alone on about ten acres. There wasn't much life around, and the absence of any manner of streetlights found the vast living room hidden behind the shadows of the night. I stood on the ground floor landing and just listened for a few moments. Only silence. I'm hearing shit, I whispered to myself as I made my way back up to the bedroom. The next day was taken up mostly by arranging our furniture and pushing aside the boxes we would be storing between the loft and the basement. That would be a task for another day as our priorities were in getting the house feeling like a home. After another few days, we were feeling pretty cozy, and it was time for the grueling process of packing away the non-essentials. As I was awkwardly carrying boxes up the ladder to store them in the attic, I found myself impressed by the size of the room. It appeared twice, or even three times the size of the storage area in my parents' house. Having moved from an apartment, we didn't have much experience with rooms such as these. I couldn't speak to whether this was an unusual size for loft, but I was not surprised given the size of the house itself. God damn it, I yelled out after tripping over an uneven floorboard with both arms gripped around the base of the boxes. You okay, babe? Rachel called out from the opening behind me. Yeah, nothing hurt but my dignity. I laughed while rolling to the side, gathering up the boxes and now lay splayed upon the floor. She was giggling pretty good when she caught sight of me after ascending the ladder to the room I now knelt in, gathering spilled memories off the floor. What did you trip over? Rachel asked, still chuckling. I have no idea, I replied, still reloading the boxes. Looks like a loose floorboard, she said, nudging the raised edge with her foot. After gathering myself back up from the floor, I took a look at the slate lip that had tripped me onto my ass. It looked like a long and wide, single sheet of plywood. The rest of the floor in this room was made up by two-by-fours, so the large chunk of thin wood seemed quite out of place. I climbed back down the ladder to the second floor below, and dug a long screwdriver out of my tool bag, which would be headed to the basement later that day. After returning to where my wife still crouched beside the unusual section of flooring, I jammed the flathead driver into the seam and pried up the sheet of wood. What the hell? Rachel said, looking down at the floor. Beats the shit out of me, I shrugged, staring at the door that was recessed in the floor of the attic. We puzzled over the reasoning behind installing a second opening into the loft outside of the one that had a fold-out ladder that we'd scaled in the first place. Though it was a far bigger room than I'd expected to see when we climbed the steps, I couldn't understand why a second entryway would be provided, especially in the form of a wooden door that would normally stand upright. 
upon closer inspection and a quick jaunt back downstairs to compare, it could not be denied that this was the same style as the front door that led to her new home. Open it up, Rachel suggested while I just looked at it, scratching my head. Well, stand back then. The last thing I wanted was for either of us to fall to the floor below, especially my very pregnant wife. The door had a regular knob with a deadbolt lock above it. I unlatched them both and then pulled the door ajar. Huh, I said, looking at my wife, then back to the floor. What the hell's the point of that? Rachel replied, staring down at the wooden floorboards beneath the door. It wasn't until I closed the strange door back shut and began to slide the plywood back over it that I noticed small text written on the top, right corner of the door. For when they come, Booper, I read out loud after leaning over to make out what it read. When they come? Rachel said. No clue, I replied, rubbing my chin. As we headed back to the actual attic door, I noticed another unusual aspect of this room. There was a thick metal bar attached to the brackets on the ceiling. It had a heavy-looking chain hanging from it, and that was looped back around it with a hefty hook. On top of that, when I was descending the ladder to exit the storage space, there was a steel hoop protruding from the back side of the door that hung down behind the ladder currently. Safe room, maybe? Rachel suggested. The attic seems like a strange place for a safe room, I chuckled. Shrugging off the chain and assuming the bizarre door to nowhere to be some kind of bizarre practical joke on the part of those who constructed the building, I went back to gathering up boxes for storage. On my second trip, I gave another glance at the oddly located door and slid the plywood back over it. I just nudged the screwdriver to the side for the time being and turned my attention back to the task at hand. My wife and I went on about the rest of our day of stashing things between the basement and the attic, but I could not shake the image of that strange door. My mind kept wandering back to whenever I found myself sitting for a moment. As we approached the end of our week in our enormous five-bedroom house, the majority of our settling was over. Sure, we'd arrange things here and there, and we'd feel the urge, but our grueling and busy move was finally done with. Rachel and I had both taken two weeks off from our respective jobs, so we had plenty of time to enjoy some peace before we had to get back to any manner of a schedule. As much as I loved our new home... There was one aspect of living here that did trouble me. Ever since being here, I still occasionally found myself awakened by the same knocking sounds that jerked me awake on our first night. It wasn't every night, mind you, just here and there, but always around three in the morning. It could be that it would still occur every night. Maybe I was lucky enough to be in a deep enough sleep most nights to not be forced into waking up, but I was growing concerned about what could be causing it. The fourth time it pulled me from my sleep, I fully investigated the strange noises. I flipped on all the lights in the living room and even strolled around outside with a flashlight for 30 minutes or so. And I still found nothing. No trees brushing up against the house, no signs of any wildlife that could be bumping off the exterior walls in the night. Nothing. 
It actually sounded like it was coming from inside the house as much as outside. It was almost as if it echoed from all around me, if that makes sense. It wasn't until the tenth night I finally got my answers to the shuddering and knocking sounds in the night. It was something after midnight in the early morning of October 5th, 2018, when the events that almost broke my weary mind occurred. What was that? Rachel asked, sitting straight up in the bed beside me, shaking my arm. Huh? I replied, still half asleep. I think there's someone in the house, she said, her voice trembling. It's probably just the knocking I've been telling you about. I replied. She was of the opinion that I was overreacting to the noises that woke me in the middle of the night. I even tried to wake her up last time like she asked me to, but she'd assumed that I was just hearing things, but she asked me to let her know next time when she'd come check out with me. This isn't knocking, babe, Rachel said, wrapping her fingers around my arm. It wasn't until then that I looked at the time. It was only a little after two, and... The knocking always happened closer to three. I sat up beside my wife and we stayed still to make out anything going on beyond the bedroom door. Sure enough, I could likely make out the sounds of multiple footsteps and whispering voices. Stay here, I told my wife as I crept out of the bed. No, she said. Don't go out there, babe. She sounded genuinely terrified. I'm sure it's nothing, I replied, tracing my fingers across the side of her face. You don't need to get worked up in your condition. I smiled and gave her a wink. Truthfully, I was pretty nervous about seeing what was going on out there. We don't own any type of weapons, but I hoped the umbrella I grabbed would be enough to get a good wallop on anyone who may be intruding. I slowly opened the door and leaned forward to see if I could make out anything. As soon as my head poked out of the door, I felt a tight grip around my neck and I was pulled out of my bedroom. Well, looky what we got here, the large man wearing a ski mask said. I tried to swing at him with the umbrella, but he just snatched it out of my grip with the hand that was not currently pinched around my throat. What the fuck do you want? I squeaked through the tight grip. The man just smiled and another came charging up the steps. The one who was holding me by the neck shoved me into the other man's arms before pushing through my bedroom door. No! I screamed out, fighting tooth and nail against the thick arms holding me in place. Don't fucking touch her! I yelled, flailing and kicking. I heard my wife scream from inside the bedroom and I felt my heart racing and my face flush with terror. Moments later, the man came strolling out of the bedroom, holding Rachel by the hair with her arms ripped behind her back. She was cussing and kicking while she fought against the man who was easily twice her size. Let her fucking go! I yelled, still struggling to get free. The two men stayed silent as they dragged us, kicking and screaming down the steps before throwing us onto our living room floor. I started to get back up under my feet until the one who pulled me from the room pulled a gun on us. You're going to want to keep quiet, or I'm going to plug the both of you, he said with a smile peeking through his woolen mask. The other one was going through drawers, presumably looking for anything of value, while the one with the gun trained on us just kept waving the barrel side to side. 
He'd ever had a pregnant girl before. He said casually as he drifted the pistol from left to right between the two of us. You're pretty damn cute at that. He continued glaring at my wife. Don't even fucking think about it, you piece of... I know you ain't trying to start nothing, but... The man belted out, interrupting my words. He strolled to where I was sitting. I tried to slide my body in front of Rachel before he crouched down to look at me in the eyes. Tell you what, big man, he said, forcing the barrel of the gun under my chin. How about you sit there and shut your goddamn mouth while I have a bit of fun with your little lady? I began to shake at the thought of what he was planning to do. I had to do something. I wasn't about to sit here and watch him have his way with the woman I loved. I know what you're thinking, bud, he said, burying the gun deeper. Give it a shot if you got the balls. His eyes grew large and wild as he stared me down. Before I knew it, my arms seemed to act independently from my mind as I smacked his gun away from me and my wife. A bullet fired into the staircase and pushed the hulking man forward onto the floor. Rachel, run! I yelled out before the man could pick himself back up. Immediately, she got up and ran from the stairs as the man got back up and charged at me. Get the bitch! He cried out to his partner, who quickly began running after my wife. I was pushed back to the ground before I had the chance to chase after him. The large man punched me in the face, and I immediately felt my head begin to spin. Guy hit like a damn truck. He pounded my face a few more times, and my senses began to fade. My ears started ringing. I heard Rachel screaming as her pursuer dragged her back down the steps by her feet. Stop, I whimpered, barely holding on to consciousness. The man struck me one final time, and I felt my body fall limp. I was still awake, but incredibly dazed. Now I'll show you what you get for pulling that shit. The man who wore blood on his knuckles spat as he pinned my wife to the floor. He started tearing at her pajamas and I could hear the cloth ripping while my wife cried out. No, I said, barely holding on. As Rachel screamed at the top of her lungs against the events that were sure to occur, if I didn't do something, I forced myself back up from the floor. Get the fuck off of her! I screamed out as I charged at the man who was still focused on attempting to disrobe my wife. He turned just in time to see me swing at him as hard as I could. Jesus Christ, his friend yelled as I felt teeth shatter across my fist. The head must have knocked the guy out cold. He just dropped onto Rachel as the other guy came to me. I quickly ducked in anticipation of his attack and ran my shoulder into his midsection. He fell to the floor, clutching his gut. I started pulling the man off my wife as the nightly knocking and shuddering sounds began. What is that? Rachel asked as tears still streamed down her face. It doesn't matter, I replied, finally freeing her from the dead weight of her attacker. I grabbed her by the hand and pulled her to the feet. The attic, she said, with a large man began to cough himself back to awareness. Go, I belted. We both sprinted up the stairs as fast as we could, while both men picking themselves back up off the ground. As soon as we reached the second floor, we ran toward the attic door, only feet ahead. I jumped and grabbed at the handle for the opening and pulled it down, releasing the collapsing ladder. We were both running on pure adrenaline as the two came thundering up the steps toward us. Once Rachel was up the ladder, I started lifting myself up. 
three shots fired from behind me while I climbed the ladder as fast as I could. I cleared the opening and reached down to pull the ladder back up along with the door. The man's gun blasted two more times before I sealed the entrance behind me. Before I could register anything else, I reached up and hooked the chain and latched it onto the loop on the back of the entry flap. As the adrenaline that had spiked began to fade, I suddenly realized I was in a significant degree of pain. I looked down to see my stomach and right leg oozing blood. Babe, my wife said in a shaky voice. No, I screamed out, causing me to buckle from the pain in my gut. Rachel was lying on the floorboards, gripping at her chest as blood spewed between her fingers. I could hear the invaders pounding and pulling on the door while loud knocking and shuddering was echoing from behind the plywood that lay across the floor some feet from us. Bullets fired off underneath me, but none seemed able to penetrate the floor we lay on. I yelled out in fear and anguish as the love of my life coughed up thick blood before falling silent beside me. I pounded my fist on the wooden floorboard, though the pain in my stomach threatened to push me past my breaking point. The yelling duo still fought to get in, and the shuddering below the plywood grew more aggressive. I laid my head on Rachel's still bleeding chest and wailed out against the pain in my gut and my heart. For when they come, my wife said softly. I jerked my head up and looked at her face. She was still alive, but only barely. Don't speak, babe, I said as tears rolled freely down my face. The door, she whispered. I jumped to my feet and ran toward the shuddering sound. I grabbed the screwdriver that still lay on the side. Once again, I pried up the plywood and slid it away from the opening. The door shook violently from the floor. I turned back to look at my wife. My heart sank when I gazed at her closed eyes. I saw no motion, no expanding or contracting of her lungs. I hung my head in sorrow for my wife and unborn child who lay dead across from me. I reached my trembling hand out toward the shuddering doorknob that stood erect from the door that faced me. I turned my hand and lifted the door open. It was not a row of two-by-four floorboards anymore that lay beyond the second exit of the attic door. Heavy droplets of water pelted me as the storm appeared to rage from behind the open door. I became distracted from the strange sight when the entrance behind me was finally pulled open after the metal loop separated from the attic door. You're dead now, motherfucker! The large man yelled out at us as I heard him thundering up the ladder. Fucking, I said to myself before jumping down into the mysteries that lay beyond the door that lay open below me. As soon as my body cleared the opening, I felt gravity shift from below to behind, and my back slammed hard onto the firm ground. I lay there dazed for a moment, while thick raindrops splashed into my face before the doors slammed shut behind my head. Are you okay? I heard Rachel yell out as she ran toward me, trying not to laugh. It took some time for me to put together what happened that night, and how those bullet holes in my gut and leg were no longer present as I lay with my back on the wet concrete, dressed in the same clothes I wore on the day we arrived. My wife had a hard time believing my account of the events that had occurred, but all I cared about was that she was alive and in my arms again. 
I took her up to the attic, showed her the unusual door that still lay behind the long and wide piece of plywood. She still wasn't convinced about the story I had told her, but she couldn't argue that it was a bizarre thing. It wasn't until time passed by and brought us back to the early morning of October 5th that she couldn't deny the tale I spun after I picked myself up off the wet concrete. It had to be true. A few days back, I purchased a rifle and a pistol of my own to prepare for the events that I'd already lived through once. I sat in the darkness, staring out of the second floor window with a gun in one hand and my phone in the other. I wasn't entirely sure at which time our late night visitors would arrive, but I made damn sure I would see them coming this time. Rachel still didn't take my prediction seriously, but she began to reconsider when she saw the headlights approaching from a distance. No fucking way, she said when the lights cut off as the truck drew closer. I'd called the police as soon as I saw the vehicle approaching, and I carried my rifle to the top of the stairs and trained it on the front door. I wasn't exactly familiar with shooting, but I was ready to fire at the bastards across the threshold. The truck stayed parked out front for some time before I saw the internal light flick on as the vehicle's door swung open outside the wide living room. As soon as our front door gave way, my heart began to race. I saw the flickering blue light strobing from the road. After a failed attempt to escape, the police had the sizable men in handcuffs. Once the duo had been loaded up, the officers commended my quick reflexes in placing the 911 call before the two could break in. Both of the men who planned on robbing and potentially killing us had quite the checkered past, and a handful of warrants sworn out for them. Likely they would not be causing any trouble for at least a good 15 to 20 years. After a few months, my wife gave birth to our beautiful daughter. Samantha. She quickly became the light of our lives and gave me more reasons to smile than I ever could imagine. It was a little after her second birthday, only a few months ago, that she found a fondness for poking everything in sight, including Rachel and I. With every single poke, she would say, Boop! One day, she had successfully booped my wife on the nose ten times in a row. Rachel, attempting to hold back laughter, said, <laughs> Okay, that's enough, Booper. As the realization of what she just called our daughter hit, we both looked at each other, lost for words. To this day, the door in the attic floor still shutters around three in the morning. Strangely, the sound that used to wake me up in the middle of the night only serves to make me sleep easier now. I can't predict what the future holds for my adorable baby girl, but I have a feeling her new nickname is going to stick. I'd been aware of the chill in the air for quite some time, but I'd never expected such a brutal omen. I'd stopped pulling the tiller just moments before, and had stood still to recover my strength just for a moment. My limbs were weak from working in the fields all day, and I was actually about to thank the cold for keeping me from overheating when the first flake fell. Snow. It was snowing. 
We were supposed to have another two months and barely enough time for another growing season. I hadn't even planted this round yet and it was already snowing. My digestive system tightened as I consciously anticipated the approaching hunger. I dropped my farming equipment and ran for home. A narrow spike of trees separated the field from a view of home and I darted between them with a sense of confused pain. The trees still had all their leaves. How was this happening? Was God punishing us for something? I stopped at the small creek that marked the halfway point to the trees. Something was amiss. The quiet burbling sounds of the brook mixed with the song of shifting leaves overhead. I should have been surrounded by the solitude of nature, but instead I felt accompanied. My gaze fell on thick wall of bushes and undergrowth that marked the beginning of deeper woods. Stalks gently waved in the chill breeze flowing between the trees, and I stared between them, slowly zooming my sight in closer and closer. Something large jumped up and scrambled away. I responded in kind, running as fast as I could to get out from among the trees. Dancing curtains of snow greeted me as I rushed down to the open air. I wasn't sure what I'd seen, not exactly, but it had certainly been nothing native. Reaching the small hillocks we called home, I ducked into my dugout. The neighboring farmers were already there, discussing the snow. What do we do? We were depending on another harvest. We'll have to cut rations again. We can survive this. Not all of us. Don't talk like that, fool. None of us will survive if we don't stay unified. I looked to each of them in turn, my skin colored by exertion and fear. They each took notice, in turn, growing silent one by one. Once all eyes were on me, I spoke. There's something out there. Something other than snow, our oldest neighbor asked, taking my agitation seriously. Trying to calm down and explain myself, I elaborated. It had four limbs and ran on two. Its hide was ragged, flappy, dirty. We locked eyes for a second. That thing was not just an animal. The other farmers seemed skeptical, but the eldest seemed perturbed. We have to deal with the snow crisis, but take someone and make some rounds, check the fences and such. I knew when to hold back. I wanted to shout that fences would do no good against an intelligent creature that could obviously climb over things, but I'd gotten some traction. Taking my closest neighbor, who was also a decent friend, I headed back out into the snow. Whipping white world around us, dampening visibility, but we did our best to check all the fences around the habitats. We found nothing until we came to the wide hillock that served as our collective storehouse. The lock had been broken, the door slammed open and shut in the wind as we approached. Was that thing inside? 
Cautiously, my neighbor and I crept underground. Long rows and shelves of cured meat, carefully packaged vegetables, and other foodstuffs sat within. These stores were all we had to survive for the coming winter, and something had broken in. I moved down one of the aisles to the left, and my neighbor took the one on the right. I crept along, listening and watching, but no threat lurked within. We took stock, eventually finding that only one small bit was missing from each type of food. We didn't lose much, my neighbor said as we moved back out to the chilly blizzard. At least that's good. I wasn't sure we were so safe. Examining the doorpost, I found a small design that had been made out of jagged scratches. It marked the food stores. Why? No idea. I gazed down to streaming white, trying to guess at the creature's intentions. We didn't know what it wanted, but the break-in was enough proof to convince the others that something was truly out there. A few of us hastily built defenses around the food stores, and we stood watch that night as the snow began sticking instead of melting. It was my shift just around dawn. Snow hadn't stopped, and an inch or two glinted under the growing morning light emanating from behind the thick clouds. Just as I started to relax, a tremendous boom rolled out across the atmosphere. My neighbor woke and cast off his soggy blanket. Was that thunder? He stood and listened for another rumble. This is no natural storm. Nature answered by thickening the falling snow and another roll of thunder extenuated the response. Shouts followed, and we ran back to the home hillocks proper. During the night, something had broken into the empty dugouts and rooted around. Others were thinking it, but I was the one to say it. We can't just sit here and wait for that thing. We have to go hunt it down. Full of anger, we headed out under cackling thunder and into blasting snow. I led the way, gripping a scythe. I wasn't sure exactly what I intended to do, but if this thing ate our food, we would all starve. If it came down to it, I promised myself I wouldn't hesitate. Some of the neighbors had children, and I couldn't let starvation find them. The wind was less brutal among the trees, but the thunder was no less tempestuous. Someone motioned. Tracks. The snow had fallen irregularly here among the trunks, but the creature had left oblique prints in what little there was. No toes, someone commented, vaguely horrified. Did it have hands? Fingers? I never got a good look at it, I told them quietly. We continued on. I saw it first. There! It bolted up from behind a bush and we chased after. It was fast and agile, leaping away through the woods on two legs. It bolted out of sight, its hide flapping with each motion. One of our neighbors chased after it in a rage. I shouted, wait! But the creature reappeared at the same time, quickly striking its foolish pursuer before fleeing another direction. We ran to our comrade and propped him up, but it was clear he wasn't going to make it blood gushed from his sliced open midsection. What the hell is that thing? My friend asked. I had no answer. 
the others murmured hymns to God for our fallen neighbor. We left too with the downed farmer and hurried on while we still had the scent. Now, beyond any promise, I knew I wouldn't hesitate. That savage invader... We stopped in place, stunned. A small bowl-shaped depression in the creek here formed a hollow in the rock under a small cliff. On the other side, set between the bowls of two ancient trees, floated a purple gash in the air itself. I thought the creature an invader, and now we understood how true that was. Creeping forward, scythe at the ready, I peered through the rift. A tight and bouldered-filled canyon curved off into the distant beyond. There were no other clues as to what kind of existence our invader was from. I turned around to report my findings and saw it at the top of the hollow. My shout was yet again too late and it cast a hand forward with a horrible short roar that echoed through the woods. Another farmer fell, gashed in the head. How had it even done that? Had it propelled some sort of claw or talon faster than the eye could see? I yelled in anger and charged up and around the hill toward the top of the shallow cliff where the others flanked the creature. It blocked the first wing of my scythe with the single long talon it had used to kill the first of us, and its other limb, the distance killer, came around toward my midsection. I hit it away with one of my legs in desperation, and the creature gave that same short roar as something impacted a tree behind me. The sound had been loud enough to momentarily deafen, and the feeling of blood rushing in my head threatened to grow to an overwhelming roar. I fought in keening silence. Scythe met Talon thrice, and its distant killing limb took another farmer between strikes. Only my friend and my two others remained, and those two fell to Talon's lashes before we managed to knock the creature from its desperate perch. It fell into the bowl of the creek, impacting the water with a splash and the rocks underneath with a crash. I leapt down after it, approaching it with my scythe while it crawled away on its back using positions and muscle angles I found inherently disgusting and alien. I lifted my weapon in rage. I froze. The creature had managed to crawl back beyond the bowls of the ancient trees where the makeshift shelter had been set up to protect two smaller versions of it. Children. God was testing us indeed. My friend rushed up beside me, blade at the ready, but I stopped him. I paid for my mistake in blood. The two child creatures charged at us with talons of their own, stabbing my friend through the mixed section and myself in one leg. God had not been testing us. These were the spawn of his opposite. Pained in my core, I slashed both of their heads off with one strike. The larger creature roared with rage and sliced at another one of my legs. I fell to the snowy ground under the clap of thunder, but not before I finally ended its life. I lay sobbing for a time, but the icy cold and falling snow provoked me to motion. I had a hunch about what was happening, and I limped over to the purple rift on my two remaining uninjured legs. Just on the other side of that rift in space, a mark similar to the one I'd seen on the food stores had been made on the canyon rock. This thing, creature, being, whatever it was, was not alone. 
it had made the marks for someone else. Numbed by fear and specific need, I entered the rift. The first step through brought warmth and heat from a new sky, and I skittered along the canyon until it opened on the wider plains of an entirely different world. I knew then that we were doomed. A throng, an army, an ocean of kin to that creature moved across the plains, a sea of dirty hunger flowing my way. Our food had been tested and marked. They would swarm across our lands and consume every single thing they found. Running back to the rift, I studied the symbol on the rocks. If I could guess what change would indicate danger, then I might trick them into avoiding our new world. A few pieces of chalky substance sat beneath, having been left there after use. Which colors meant warning and which colors meant food? I didn't even have the same eyes. How could I know for sure? I picked one and made my mark, praying to God that green meant danger. Big shout out to my $5 patrons and members. Absinthe Alice, Amethyst, Amet, Caroline, Christina Smith, C.T., Deborah Tychus, Elizabeth Watkins, LSG, Furious Weasel, If in Doubt, Flat Out, Justinia Zamroska, Karen Parrott, Kat, Lindsay Pruitt, Melody Evans, Melissa Berwick, Myla, Nicholas Moore, Nikki Parsons, Ray Clegg, The New Ongome 24, Tiger Princess, and Victoria Stepp. Thanks everyone for your amazing and continued support. <laughs>